Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within podcast. Today we're going to continue on our deer slam topics, and we're going to cover a Carmen Mountain whitetail deer hunt that we did down in uh, Coila last winter. Joining uh, me again here is Aaron Blisey and Justin Fabian. Yes, yes. Good morning, Fabian. Fabian. I, we got to keep that 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 going as much as he hates so, it. So quiet over there today. He is. He is. That's the only reason. That's the only reason you're going to keep it going. That, <laughs> <that not. laughs> oh, he's got a fresh hairdo today. I like it. It's looking good. Busted out, busted out the bick. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm glad to be here uh, and talk about this Carmen hunt because this was something like really out of the ordinary for me. Like I've never hunted or even been on a hunt like this and to hunt a species like a Carmen Mountain, I I didn't even know a Carmen Mountain whitetail even existed, to be honest with you. So I was excited about this one. Now, wait a second. I thought you were Mr. Whitetail. Well, you know, see, I just stick to that like, you know, Midwest, northeastern kind of type of deer. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You know what? This you got the fall podcast. This was a winter hunt, so I understand. There I you understand. go. There. Yep. I, I guess that means there's an opening in Saskatchewan next year. No, 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 no. That's that's northwestern. Eh, I don't, whatever. No, there's. <laughs> yeah. So um, no, I'm excited to get into this. So Mark, I guess uh, to kind of right off the rip here. Carmen Mountain Whitetail. Let's talk a little bit about the species and where these things exist, where they come from, and you know what family they're in, really. Yep, yep. So the Carmen Mountain is a subspecies, obviously a whitetail. Um, and it wasn't until the 90s when SCI recognized it as a standalone subspecies. And basically how they took the map of where they are, it's the uh, Sierra del Carmen Mountains, hence Carmen Mountain Whitetail, Sierra del Carmen Mountains. Um, that's basically the range that they live in. That range extends into West Texas a little bit, but mainly down in uh, Coahuila, Mexico, which is where we hunted. Um, it's very similar in size 
to a coos deer? I guess a lot of people kind of uh, that may not know, they consider a Carmen Mountain and coos basically the same. They are very similar, but they did separate out a coos deer from a Carmen Mountain. I got gotcha. you. Now, when I saw these for the first time, I'm like, this. it looks just like a coos to me. Um, so now the reason being that they're a Carmen deer is because they were, they're just in the Carmen mountains, right? Is that correct? Cor- correct. They're, that's well, that's where their range is basically okay. when, when they broke off and, and scientifically, I think it was, it was like late, it was October 1939 or something like that, that they were actually scientifically broken off as a subspecies, but it wasn't until the, the early nineties when SCI actually broke it off in their record keeping. Um, And that's, that's when it became more mainstream of, of actual hunters going there. um, I guess more frequent and going after that subspecies than before. I gotcha. Now in, in the world of, of whitetails and, and subspecies and deer like this, like how, how uh, sought after is like a Carmen deer? So a Carmen Mountain, it's, it's unique because if you think of the, the well, both Carmen and Coos Deer, if you think about the time that you hunt them, now obviously like Coos Deer in Arizona, they've got an early season in August that extends all the way to, to January if you're using your bow and so forth. But down in Mexico, like you go out, you really get after Coos in, in late December and into January. Same thing with Carmen Mountain. Um, it's December and January. So it's, it's separated from the majority of the hunting seasons um, in the U.S. and it extends the for a traveling hunter or somebody that's looking for something different. It extends that season. Um, and I always loved hunting Mexico in January because I mean, as you know, Aaron living in and even Justin in Iowa. Listen, January in in Michigan, there's some long days. You some can days get me you, out of there. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't see the sun for a long stretch here in Michigan. So obviously, yeah. going down to hunt in Mexico. Where the where the weather's generally warmer, sun's out. It's very appealing, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's one of those things. That it's a different type of hunt. It's very similar to coos deer hunting, to where the majority of places that you hunt, you get up high, start glassing, and these deer just have a way of moving. But man, can they disappear down in that that desert floor or in the canyons? Like you'll see it, and then all of a sudden you lose sight of it for an hour and pick it up that it's moved 300 yards and you didn't catch any of that 300 yards that it was moving. Yeah. So difficult. I mean, yep. all three of us were on this hunt and we'll get a little more into it here in a little bit, but I'll tell you, I didn't really know what to expect to be honest with you in, in how mountainous it was where we were like getting mm-hmm. up high. Like they're like little ants down in the bottom. You know what I mean? Just kind of, you just catch glimpses of them and you know, and then you got to make a move on them. It, it's, it can be very difficult. Hey everybody, 2022 was an awesome tag application year. We had a bunch of clients draw some amazing tags and just starting to see the trophy picks in the field. Wow, but you know what? It's time to start planning ahead. 2023 is right around the corner. The state of Alaska all species deadline is December 15th. That's right, it's already time to start planning ahead for 2023. State of Alaska deadline is December 15th. Make sure to give the guys in the office a call or check out our website, worldwidetrophyadventures.com for more information. Yeah, yeah. And I guess as, as we're doing the comparison between Coos and Carmen's, so the Carmen's ears are actually smaller than what a coos deer is. Um, but at the same time, a Carmen is generally larger 
antler wise than what a coos would be. Yeah. Longer and longer in average. Um, like that's if now they're very, don't get me wrong. They're very, very similar. But if you, if you took a thousand and compared them, that would generally be the average. Now, like how let's, let's talk antler size here and score and everything. Cause that's a good representation when you're, your audio form here so everybody listening can understand it but mm-hmm. you know uh, like a midwest whitetail or you know the whitetails we're known for like you know 130 inch bucks a good buck you know 140 mm-hmm. is big 150s even i mean we're getting yep. so like carmen and coos like what is a good representation of of a carmen well a coos, a coos and a carmen 110 inches gets you in the record book Okay. So think think about that. Listen, I'd be living in the record book here where I live in Michigan. I got 110 inch deer all over the place. <laughs> so that, that that's the that's the difference. And like, let's let's talk weight a second. Like, Aaron, what do you think a uh, uh, Michigan uh, average Michigan buck weighs? I'd say probably around that 160 pounds, probably 180 pounds, maybe. Like I don't know. Well, flirting with that 200 pound, you know, for us yeah. anyway. Uh, if you get anything over 200 pounds, that's that's a big. That's what we shoot for is the 200 pounds white pound whitetail around here. So, yep. so Justin, what do you? What about down in Iowa? It's probably about the same. Okay, so now here here's what the average. So Texas did a study. Um, on Carmen Mountain Whitetail, and this is this is based off mature bucks. So mature bucks, Carmen Mountain Whitetail average 104 pounds. Mm. You guys want to venture on what a doe weighs on average? Now this is a mature Carmen Mountain Whitetail doe. I'm gonna say about. Go ahead. 75, 80. Yeah, I was gonna say 60. 66 pounds. Wow. So when we were when we were glassing on these Carmen Mountains and you'd see a doe and you'd be like, man, that thing looks like a fawn. Well, literally, it is about the size of a fawn of what we have here in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Think about it. And, and they only stand, on average, the top of the shoulder, 33 inches. Yeah. And you know, when we were glassing them everything, when you're not up close to them, they didn't really... I mean, they do look small, but... And, you know, because you haven't been there much, you don't hunt them a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what do you... It's like even if you go to Alaska and you're hunting something, it's like you want to see that first animal to see like, okay, what am I trying to spot? What am I trying to pick out here? But like they didn't seem like they were that small until we walked up on one, and I'm like, yeah. oh wow, this is <laughs> this is a puppy dog. <laughs> yeah, that's where that's where you're glassing through, looking through the Leopold spotting scope, and you're like, man, that is a big deer. Yeah. <laughs> and then you walk up on it, and you're like, huh? Yeah. Grab that thing, throw it over the shoulder. Where do you guys want to do pictures on this one? Yeah. So, you know, saying that like. When you're looking for a deer and trying to judge it by antler size, with smaller bodies, I would suspect their antlers are probably going to look a little bigger no matter what. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are, yep. what are some indications or, you know, things that you look at that are like, okay, that's a shooter buck? Or, you know, do they have any features that are like, yeah, that's a good one. We need to go after him. Yeah, even I mean, like even though they're smaller, like, same thing with the coos deer. Like, if you, if you glass up enough... You can just tell a young buck because it's got that young buck face. Even though they're short and smaller, they still have that same elongated nose when they when they look younger. And you just get those older deer, and that nose gets wider, the forehead gets more more wide, and it looks looks flatter. The horns are obviously the or the antlers are heavier. Um, like that's a big one on the on the coos and the carmen. Like the antlers are just they they get heavier as they get older. I got you. Justin, what was your thoughts on this hunt going into this? Like, what was your headspace of like, what are we going to get into here? Because this is probably the first Carmen hunt you've been on, right? 
Yes, for Carmen Mountaineer, yeah. Uh, I kind of just equate it to like a typical South Texas hunt. I mean, I, I kind of figured there, I thought there'd be feeders and, you know, I didn't think it'd be blind hunting because from what it sounded like, I mean, you need to cover ground and, you know, to find the right buck. And we were there in January, so we were, I think we were probably towards the end of their rut. I mean, there was some, still yeah. some, some checking and chasing going on, but it was pretty much over for the most part. Yeah. So, and I mean, it wasn't like it was 70 degrees down there. I mean, if we got there, it was chilly, 35, 40, you know, in the mornings. So there's no vegetation. Like the leaves don't really, you know, uh, mesquite trees, they lose their leaves, but that's about all there is down there. There's live oaks and, um, probably not a lot of food around. So, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really know what to expect. I just kind of felt like there was kind of a lot against us and then throw in their size and how, how well they blend in. It was actually a lot more challenging than I expected to find a, a mature buck. Yeah. And Mark, like, you know, coming into this, you were told as well, it could be a little bit of high racking, could be mm-hmm. get up on top, some mountains and, and kind of glass in the morning, see what we can go after. Like, you know, in your head, like, how did you want it to go down? Like, how did you want to kill this animal? Like how, like my ideal, cause I love spot and stalk. I love, I love that getting up high in the morning and, and just taking time and burning the country, just glassing everything and, and surprised what moves. Now we went later and, and passed the rut. I mean, obviously scheduling wise, that was on me. So I was coaching. So I had to pick a, a four day window that I could get away and, and head south to do it. And that's just, that's just when it, when it was, it was one of those things that the season runs long. So you have that chance, but the rut was definitely over. Um, so I understood their, their game plan of, Hey, we're going to do both. We're going to get in the high rack so we can cover a lot more miles and we're going to get up high and glass early in the morning and late at night to see what we can catch moving. Um, and ironically, both, both methods worked. I mean, think about how many deer we saw off the high rack. Mm-hmm. Like we thought we saw a ton of deer. Now we just didn't see any big bucks off the high rack. Um, but we kind of use that to locate like, Hey, there's a large number of deer in this Canyon. Now let's get up high, go on the other side and start glassing down in there for a couple hours and see what we see. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, I love to do the burn the glass as well, because that just, I feel like you're hunting more, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like you're kind of more into it. Like this is, it's kind of neat and kind of go after him. But I'll tell you what, you, you get up on a mountain, then when you go down, you're, you know, going down the mountain and you get halfway down and the whole scenery changes and you're like, Oh crap. Like <laughs> yeah. we really need to uh, figure out where we need to go to get on this thing. Yeah. yeah. You say mountains and it's like, it's no joke mountain. It's, yeah. So I'll back up just for like a little bit, like in Mexico where we're at in Coahuila, it's just South of the border of Texas. Like you've got Del Rio, Lake Amstead, and you come a little bit West of that into that little pocket, like where the little, it's not called the panhandle, but like, that in Texas, it's like Marfa, you know, south to Big Bend National Park down on that little that little tit down there. Like we're just across the border down there. And it's like all that land right there around Marfa, like on the Texas side, that's all that big bluff country for like a lot of audit hunting. So like that continues across the border, you know, and it's like, I don't know, we're not talking like South Texas scrub brush, but it's no. like we got up into some elevation that you probably wouldn't expect for for saying we're going to Mexico and talking about the desert. 
Yeah, and elevation—that's a—that's a good key. And so, like when I was when I was researching Carmens to go down there, like the most common elevation that they are is they're above four thousand feet sea level. And they Isn't that one of the classifications? Like that's that that separated them well, they, from some species. Yeah, they put it they put it in there. Um, but their most common elevation is above four thousand, with some up to twenty to seventy two hundred, and they're very seldom witnessed under three thousand feet. So, like, I was like, okay, like in a whitetail. Well, like whitetails around here, they love a freaking bottom. If you got a river bottom or something, like they're in there. So you're like, why, why does the Carmen Mountain not go down? Mm-hmm. And it's just if so. Now think about this. Why don't they go down? So in the habitat that they're in, think about what it was like as we started to lose elevation. Like it was thinning vegetation the lower that we went into that desert area. Like that that sweet pocket was literally right around four to fifty five hundred feet there that had all the vegetation for them, and that's why they're living there. Right. As as like in that area of the world, the lower you get, like you go below three thousand feet, and there's I mean there's nothing but dirt. Exactly. So that's what that's just why they're there. Yeah, and um, that vegetation probably stays year round for them in Mexico there around Correct. that range. Yep. Now I I when we got there like to kind of go back on Justin's elevation and mountainous stuff I, I did not think we were in Mexico like the way it looked like and it was unseasonably cold you know and then cold. it was just and honestly I felt like I was in Texas like West Texas kind of range like Justin said but it uh it was very different for me to be honest with you and this was like every once in a while I mean it, it, Anybody that's listening down from from South Texas or, or West Texas knows that, hey, you know, probably once or twice a winter, we get hit with a cold snap to where it's like a high uh, 42 to 44, but it's just like this this damp cold and like, man, they're like cold on the desert's a different type of a different type of cold. Um, obviously, I knew it wasn't when we started getting ready for the trip and, and planning a couple days before, I knew it wasn't going to be 75 and sunny, like I was hoping. But <laughs> like you get there and I pack some warm clothes. I did nearly not pack enough clothes, especially to be high racking in the morning when it's 32 degrees. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad I packed my puffy jacket because uh, if I wouldn't have done that, um, daddy wouldn't have been feeling very good. Well, I wasn't feeling very good that first morning. So, but we, <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> it's an, I, I just remember this is probably one of my favorite, favorite sayings is we got done hiking. We went up to glass and we got down to the truck and I look, I think you were the one Aaron that said, I'm like, I asked how you're feeling. And I think you said like a wet biscuit. Yeah. I, Actually, took that I know from you Justin. said like a wet biscuit. I probably said that a hundred times now since then. Yeah, Justin introduced me to the wet biscuit years ago, and I've so stole it from him. But it's it's so good. I mean, it. Mm. I felt like I did. I felt like a wet biscuit. I had a heavy heart heartbeat going, and uh, just I was a little out of the element. You know, I'm a flatlander, so uh, when you get the up those <clears throat> when you get up in those little higher elevations, you know, start yeah. feeling the dad bod come in. <laughs> But uh, so let's let's get into the hunt a little bit here. So we had an opportunity to, or you had an opportunity to be able to possibly take two deer, right? So you had one with a rifle, and then possibly one with a muzzleloader, correct? Yep. Yep. So what was the game plan going in um, on your side, Mark? Like, what was your thought process? Like, what did? How many days were we there? Four or five days? Four, that, we were there four. Yep. Four days. So like, yep, what was, Justin went in. <laughs> Justin, would you go in a day and a half early? Two days early? Yeah. I don't know. I felt like it was at least two. 
maybe three. I don't remember because I went to a different ranch with our guide to go look at another potential hunt, and the weather was just so bad. Like we never, we never left the room. Yeah, yeah. So we like on on short hunts for those that are listening. Like when I can only get away for three or four days, generally what we do a lot of the time, because if you think trying to get a, a linear episode or one that airs on TV, um, like you got to fill 23 minutes of that. And there's a lot of scenic stuff like lodge shots, um, drone shots from the air and things like that, that, that Justin or Aaron or a field producer can come in and, and get a lot of those before I, before I roll in just to max out the time. Um, so that's what we did with, with Justin on this one. He went in a couple days early. Yeah. Um, so, so my, my mindset on this was I've got, so the ranch that we hunted down in Mexico is probably, well, I, I can tell you, it will be in the, in the next three to four years, there will be the, the new world record Carmen to come out of there with a rifle and a hundred percent with a muzzleloader. If somebody can get their muzzleloader down there, like I did, um, just that's, that's the genetics that are there. Now, when we hunted that time of year, would I like to been there three weeks earlier? Absolutely. Because then those larger bucks would have been moving all day. Um, and would I like to bend there 10 days versus the four days that I had? Yes, absolutely. Um, but the mindset on this, it was such a high deer density ranch that in, in setting this one up, I can travel with both. So the mindset is, well, let's, let's go with a rifle. Obviously you can reach out and touch something with it. Um, if we were lucky enough to get a, get a rifle buck down, then let's switch to a muzzleloader and, and go with that just on the really just on the the odd chance and knowing that it can happen of getting the the muzzleloader world record which i mean you guys have been there can you imagine being there three weeks earlier and with Mm. 10 days yeah 10 days to extend that hunt a little bit alone i think if you gave us a couple more days because we'll get into it but at the back end of the trip i mean we did see the muzzleloader world record oh yeah you know so for sure and this thing was a toad um but yeah, I think if we could have extended our trip a little bit, it would have been beneficial for sure. Yep. So, I mean, let's talk about morning one, get up and, you know, the plan was to get up high, right? When we talked about that. So Mark, from your perspective, I mean, what were you thinking when we got up on the hill and started glassing a little bit? Like, what was your, what was your thought process? What did we see there? Like, I always love getting up high and, and glassing that first time. Cause you've never seen it before. Like everything's so new, like the scrub, the, the bushes, the, the, the trees, like any, anything like that, the terrain, like everything's so new, um, getting up high that first morning glass. And there was a lot of new, then the excitement of seeing your first deer, seeing your first buck, um, like that first, not just the first morning, but really that first day there's, you're just kind of absorbing and taking it in. Um, then after that, we, we, I mean, obviously glass saw some deer, waited a good hour and a half then went down and and how they really specialize on this ranch is to max out your full day um and the best way to do that is 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 they determined is just to get in a high rack and then cover miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of the ranch yep um to see as many deer and i mean man when we got down in that high rack you would go it seemed like you would go six seven miles without seeing anything and then all of a sudden you'd get into a pocket of deer to where you'd see eight to ten and then you'd go miles again without seeing anything. And then you'd get into a pocket of seeing six to eight. Yep. And generally, when you would get into one of those pockets, there would be a buck there. Just as you go through, it's a smaller buck, smaller buck, and bunch of does. Couldn't really get a good look at that buck. Like that, 
and it brought a lot of excitement because you never knew when you're on that high rack, you never knew when you were going to see something. If you guys are looking for the best seat covers on the market, you got to make sure to check out Rough Tough. I've had them in my truck now going on four years and they are bulletproof. Make sure to check them out, roughtough.com. Leopold offers the best optics in the game, bar none. I personally have their Santium binos and never go to the field without their Pro Guide spotting scope. I've got a Mark V on all my rifles, and also don't forget they've got some awesome eyewear as well. For more information, visit leopold.com. If you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, make sure to give the team at WTA a call at 1-800-755-8247 or check out our website, WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I liked about it too was like when you're high racking, I mean, it's so thick around you. So you're looking down a lot of these roads and trying to catch deer crossing or something like that or catching them in a little pocket, like Mark said. But if you see them cross the road, I mean, it's time to get out and start getting on ground then and kind of tracking them, which is really, I thought that was kind of neat. Yep. No, that's always cool too. Yeah. So, I mean, that first day, like what did we have for breakfast? A burrito? What was it? I want to say it was a breakfast burrito. Yeah. They were, you know, they were nice. They were good. Yeah. It's always starting off the day, right? Made the tummy feel real good. Yep. And the place we stayed at is, uh, it's a older Mexican hacienda. Like it was a, it was a nice house. Obviously they had a, they had an older pool out front nobody was getting in the pool because it was 32 degrees, (laughs) but they had had a pool. Like it, like one thing about Mexico is the food is always good. I love Mexican food. So you'd like, I love that part. It's usually a burrito for lunch in the field, like. Like, I really love that part, actually. Like, I don't know what it is about a cold burrito in the field. It's just awesome. It is kind of good. But, hey, yeah. how big was this ranch? Do you remember how big this ranch was that we were on? Yeah, I don't. I should have I should have wrote that down in my notes before we did. I want to say it was like 34,000 acres or something yeah. like that. So, I mean, think about that. It's a it's a chunk of dirt. Mm-hmm. Well, let's put it this way. I, I think I want to say it was in the mid-30s because in the center of the ranch, um, Aaron kind of alluded to this, we did see the um, – world record muzzleloader deer in the center of the ranch um so the ranch owner's grandpa when he originally bought this ranch back in the the 50s or 60s he set up in the center of the ranches to where the hacienda is and some of the farmers houses and and all the stuff right in the center it was 3,000 acres that he put as a sanctuary that there hasn't been hunting in this 3,000 acres well in the last 50 60 years yep so obviously that's where they got a little landing strip for a plane. If you, if you fly in there, just a grass strip and, and it seems like all these farms just collect older buildings to where you had cattle at one point and this is where you loaded the cattle, like all this stuff's in this, in this 3000 acres. But as they had cleared these cow pastures out, like it for now, deer just hammer that grass. Cause there's, there's hardly any grass anywhere else. So the, the sanctuary always holds a bunch of deer. And I'm trying to remember what was it? The third day we were coming back and mm. looked over and there was just a pig of a buck over there yeah i mean he he was all over mid 120s if not greater and but the, he was in the sanctuary now will that de- deer 100% leave that 3000 acres absolutely he will but just when we saw him he was in that sanctuary area so all we could do is just stare at him through the binos and and get video of him as he of course like any deer knows when he's safe just stood there it seemed like for 30 minutes Yep. Hey, and you know, coming from where we come from, I'm I'm good for an old fashioned yip test. You know, I like to get down. <laughs> let's do a little deer drive. Let's get them. Let's get them up. Get them moving. Like I was all for that. You know, and I asked Guillermo, 
jokingly, but you know, we'll see what he says here. There's let's, a little bit of serious behind let's, it. A little bit of seriousness. Let's test the waters. Let's see what his temp is on this. And I said, Guillermo, I can give you a nice little yip test. And he goes, you know, in his his accent, he you know said, "What's that?" Basically, and I said, "Well, I can get down. And I can head this deer off. We can get him out of here. <laughs> you know? yeah, we, we can get him out of this sanctuary pretty quick. Oh, I'm good for an old Rochambeau. So." Listen, yeah. I'm from, I'm born and raised in Michigan. Don't, I can count, man, I can't, 30, 40 deer drives I've been on back oh. in, back in my youth, the good old days. Yeah. Get them up, get them moving. I mean, that's what you always yep. say. So, um, no, but so like the hunting was kind of, I mean, we hunted for two straight days and saw a lot of deer, but in some bucks, but mm-hmm. it was kind of getting down to that nitty gritty of like, we need to make something happen here. So let's get to the day of, uh, let's get to D day here. So Mark, yep. start running us through, through the last day there, uh, starting from, you know, the morning, what we did. Yep. Yeah. So on this, so they hadn't had hunters in the ranch in about, I think it was 10 or 12 days or something like that. Obviously the other hunters were there during, during the rut. So after rut, the deer are not obviously not moving as much, especially the older bucks because they used up so much of their fat reserve. And during the rut, I mean, you'd see a buck over here that's a, a good deer and you may catch them the next time four miles down the mountain range. Being after the rut, the deer would get up and move in the morning, do some some checking of does, but then bed down and, and not cover the area. Yeah, they may move from one canyon to the next over the course of a day, but then they may stay in the same canyon for a week. So what we were doing when we got there is we were basically using all the canyons and spending time when we would get up in glass and be in this canyon, cover it and be like, nope, no older mature deer here. Get down high rack to the next one. Yep. No mature deer here. And we were using that process of elimination of just going through the canyons and checking. So by day three, we were checking a new new canyon 10 miles away from where we had started on day one and covered a whole bunch of ground in between. So the guide obviously knew that they're in the past, this, this canyon has the food and the water and everything to hold deer. So we got in there and, and just started glassing and, and it wasn't very long before we started seeing deer move down in the bottom. And then all of a sudden you catch a, catch a glimpse of a buck and you're like, that, that's a mature deer. And when you asked me, Aaron, so here, cause you saw that deer as it moved early. So you asked me early on, how could you tell a mature deer Yep. being smaller in stature. So like you instantly knew that that was a mature deer. So what did your brain kick in and tell you when you see, when you saw that deer, because I want to say it was moving right to left, walking away. And we had a glimpse of it for like 20 yards before it disappeared. You know what, seeing a lot of deer in general in my lifetime and just trying to judge, you know, my first initial thought is I thought the deer had a frame. So yep. I didn't think it was a young deer frame. That's, you know, even though the deer probably scored 110 or so, it was all yep. relative. It's weird how when you've looked at a lot of deer that when you go to these different areas, you kind of like adapt to it in a way. And I don't even think you know that your mind is doing it. But like when I saw that deer, I'm like frame, good twos. Like he's like the G2s I thought were real good G2s for the Carmen species and i'm like okay that's probably a shooter i would think and he was you know he was probably at his ears a little bit wider maybe but i just thought first thing i said in my head was like he's got a frame so i i thought that made him a little more mature than an immature deer i guess i don't know justin what do you think 
I thought just everything just looked like it fit, like it was proportional. Like his neck yes. fit his chest, and his rack fit his head, and his nose wasn't long, and it was just he still had that like straight belly, you know, like or kind of a sag, you know. It wasn't like a he didn't look like he needed to put weight on, even though it was post rut. Like everything just fit like proportionally. Yep. It just had that, like you said, you see enough whitetails. It's like one of those things where when you know, you know, it's like, yeah, every one of them, when, when you know, it's a shooter buck, like instantly your brain says, yep, that one. If you don't have to talk yourself into it, it's usually the right one. Yeah. Yeah. And proportional. That's a, that's a good one. I would not, a, it's a really good description. Just, I would not have used that in what I was going to say right now, but proportional is definitely the correct word now that you said it because like instantly when I throw up my binos and you you get to see him for five seconds before he disappears again I looked and he had that old deer swagger if you know what I mean like mm -hmm. he just kind of is how the sway of his his body worked and you're like okay old deer and then you find his antlers and you're like okay they hold the mass compared to everything else that we've seen now it's it's comparative because it's not like a, a deer from iowa that's got mass it's not i mean not that thick but for their size it's got mass um and he carries it out to his tips and he's and you start looking at the color of his face he looks whiter and you're like okay that's an old deer and then he's gone right and every and it's it's one of those things like everybody saw him for a split second Everybody gave the, that looked like a good deer. Now it just happened because we were walking. We looked up some, nobody had the spotting scope up. Nobody got that. So now everybody's sitting down. We get the spotting scope up and we just start tearing the area apart. And he doesn't show up again. And you look at it from up above and you're like, how are we not seeing this deer right. moving? Like you think you can cover everything. And finally we move a little bit continue down to the left and and probably go another 300 yards and start glass and catch them moving again and all it is is they can get on like these dry river beds or creek beds and and they'll hit one of those and you think you can see that whole area but it's so thick down there that you can't yeah and we catch a glimpse of them again this time through the spotting scope and and yep mature deer um time to go after them now it's time to get to get set up so where he's at and moving, now it's trying to, okay, what are the markers we're going to use for where he's at? Because he's moving. He's not moving fast. I want to say there was a smaller buck with him and a couple of does. Nobody's moving fast. They're just grazing. They look like they could bed down at any time. We need to disappear off the, off the backside here and move quick to get around so he doesn't know we're moving. But when we pop back over, we need, we need something to, to mark where he was at. So we picked... Um, I want to see some, some larger pine trees to where he was at. We, we do the big move around, come over. And of course, when you pop over quarter mile away or whatever it was, when we pop over, nothing looks the same. And you're like, was no. that the tree we used as a marker? Was that the tree? Like everybody's all looking around like, like what it was. And of course he had moved again and, and was, I think he was bedded underneath a tree. Yes, he was. He was bedded underneath the tree that we used as a marker. Except when these deer, I mean, think about it, it's a hundred hundred pound deer and they're colored light gray. When they bed down in the desert floor, they disappear. Mm -hmm. So I want to say Jeremo caught his antler moving when he moved his head and that was it. Like now everybody's zoned in on him. So we finished the stock up another 150 yards. I get set up prone, um, laid out. So now all we need him is to, to stand up and, and move a little bit and should have a, a good 340 yard shot.
Yep. Hey, I want to add something cor- here, Mark, real quick before you do yep. get to that part. But like something kind of go back to when we initially saw him and this something this might have been something that you was running through your guys' head as well. But you know, he's down in this this canyon. He's down in this bottom. We've got basically a canyon around him. So like another thing that like came through my head is like the thermals, the wind. Oh yeah. We gotta be we gotta be conscious of like what we were doing there when we were side hilling to get around him. So you know, and as much as we didn't, you know, you don't want to go really in the bottom because you're going to lose visual. But if we had to, that might not have been a good play just because of the wind and thermals and how it could have been mm-hmm. reacting down there. It was so different up top. So that's another thing. It I don't want people to think this is like a real slam dunk, easy deal. Like these deer are, they're deer, you know, they're, they, oh, yeah. they just like every other free range whitetail, it's like, you know, they're not just going to stand for anything. So you got to take everything into consideration on this. Yeah. If this buck would have saw us or smelled us, I mean, you guys saw how he disappeared just when he was walking normal. We would not have saw this deer again. He would have hit one of those Creek beds and just gone Yeah. to the next Canyon. And like, imagine the only reason we saw this deer is because we, we literally caught him in a 25 yard opening walking. And it was just out of happenstance that, I looked up and saw him as we were walking. That that was that was it. Like if he would have made it through that, we would have went another 150 yards where we were trying to get to and set up in glass again. If he wouldn't have left that thicket, we wouldn't have saw him. Mm-hmm. And think about it. He was only 30 minutes away from bedding up for the day. Yeah. So we it was just. I mean, that's hunting though. It's lucky. It's being in the right spot at the right time. It's it's always having your binos up, always looking ahead, always looking down. Like that. That was it. The deer almost disappeared. So now take that. How many of those canyons had we gone through and glassed that, yeah, there was a big mature deer in there, but he was already bedded up for the day because it's post-rut. He probably ate through the night and moved for the first 15 minutes of daylight, and we didn't catch him because he was in some thick stuff, and then he bedded down. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the tricky part about that spot and stalk. That's why keying it on the rut timing is so important. Because Coos deer and Carmen Mountain are so aggressive. They're smaller deer, but they're so aggressive. Aren't they one of the more all, aggressive tight or uh, species? They are. They are. So like on coos deer, like I've hunted a lot in Sonora on ranches that have coos deer and mule deer and coos deer will a hundred percent bully out the mule deer. Coos deer always get the best habitat, even though you're like the mule deer is four times its size. doesn't matter. The coos deer is just more aggressive hmm. and Carmen's are, Carmen's are the same way. Yeah. So like if we would have been there during the rut, we would have saw a ton more deer, a lot more movement. But again, we're there when we're there when we're there and it's just got lucky, caught this deer coming across the little opening. Yeah, and we're running out of time too. I think this was our last day or was this it? Was the la- this was the last day. We could have hunted the last morning and then had to start start boogieing back because I, uh, I want to say I had a game to coach the next day. So it was it was tight on travel and especially travel during the old COVID days and, and even so much now, like travel is just so much more difficult. You can't just say that plane takes off at 1030 and it, it actually takes off at 1030. Right, yep. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So we get up in a position here. Mark, take it from there. Just kind of, you know, if we side hill. Sorry, I digressed a little bit there. And yeah, got no off the, So take it from there. Yep, we side hill got, got set, caught him moving in his bed. Continued down to to a good spot, another 150 yards. I think we were set up 340 or so yards away. Um, I got set prone. I mean, had the rangefinder, ranged it, rock solid. I want to say I had a, my binos underneath the butt of my gun. I mean, just just locked in. And like so many other times in the field, like you get locked in, and that deer is, man, he's locked in too. He's just ready to close his eyes and take a six hour nap. So you're set up, and now after 30 minutes, everything's starting to get a little sore. The back hurts. The neck hurts. Everybody went from high alert to you look over, and it's Indian-style sit now, like <laughs> just him and Han. Somebody's looking over to the right, thinking about digging in the burritos. Like, oh, when, yeah. when's, this, when's this deer going to stand? Um, but finally, what was it, like 45 minutes when it finally stood? I can't remember, really. It was all a big, big push for me. Justin, do you remember? Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I one point we just said some someone do something, and I whistled. And oh, feel, that's right. Yep, yep. The old two finger dad whistle, and just finally one of the does stood up, and they were like, "Wait, what was that?" And then since she stood up, he finally stood up, and it was game on. I forgot yeah. about the dad whistle pipes. I'll tell you what: if you want to hear a okay. man whistle, Justin <laughs> Fabian is your guy. I mean, Fabian. you literally could hear him in South Texas. I swear. <laughs> so I've. We've had a lot of times in yeah, we've had a lot of times in the field to where something's bedded up and not so much this time, like the wind stayed steady, it was in our face, like none of that, but like you can just get you can get out of it if you're laying there for so long. Like all of a sudden you gotta lay on your side or lay on your back just to stretch. And if that's the moment when he stands up, it's like, man, you missed missed your opportunity. So there's been lots of times in the field you give the old rock throw <laughs> or you give the old hey, whistle and and the best time, like this one worked out perfect because when Justin whistled, Doe stood up, not even sure the buck heard him, but obviously the buck looked at the doe. She was on, she stood up with a purpose. So he's like, man, I should mosey out of my bed here and just see, but he doesn't know where to look. So he stands up, takes two steps, which was in the opening, staring at her. And obviously, cause I knew Justin was going to whistle. We had it all set and I was, I was right behind the old trigger and let her fly after that. Yeah, good shot, too. I mean, it was kind of a bang-bang deal. Like, he got up, yeah. and you could tell he was probably going to bolt, and it was just one of those ha-woo kind of things. And, and, that, uh, and that's the risky part about if you do the old rock throw or the whistle is, you know, sometimes sometimes deer are deer, and they're going to hear it. Like, if that buck would have heard it and instantly thought there was a coyote or something like that, he could have very easily took off out of that bed and went 30 yards into a thicket and not to be seen again. Yeah, that's where you just you just got to be on the gun, and as soon as they stand up and hesitate for a second, you just got to send it. Yeah, but it's but for like a shooter, like you've got it ranged. You're obviously rock solid. Like you're on them. All you got to do is move just a little bit while he gets up. If he stands straight up, you're ready to squeeze. If he moves a little bit to the left, like this one, you you rotate over just a hair and then then send it right away. As soon as as soon as he pauses. Yeah, for sure, and that was. I mean, the deer went down like a like a sack of poop, and uh, 
you know, and that was just like, that was just surreal in itself for me anyway, just talking in my head is just like, wow, like that just happened. Like that happened real quick. You know, we were just over on the other side of the mountain, I don't know, an hour ago and saw this thing. And now here we are, you know, it it was really cool. I thought. Yep. Yep. And then of course, obviously we got to do all the recreates because we didn't have an hour to do that beforehand. So we're sitting there doing all the, all the recreates on the, on the hill and, like this, at this point, I always bring up my binos and you start glassing and you look at him. He was laying butt closer head away. So, I mean, obviously any deer that you're looking at to where you can see him from the back, they always look way bigger, except you're looking at this deer and you're like, man, this deer is a stud. Like, look at him. Yeah. And I didn't and, even know what to expect when we were walking up on him because I've never been up to a Carmen this close. So I was like, yeah, I don't really know what to to get into, like how, how the bodies are going to be, how big his antlers yeah. are, stuff like that. Well, that... And that's where we start walking down and you get to the elevation you can't see. So now there's grass and there's scrub and you know where you're walking. But we, you didn't actually see him until we are like 15 yards away. And then you see him and you're like, huh, somebody shot a dog right here. What is this thing? So small. And, you're like, and the antlers, I mean, proportional wise for the body look, look big. But you're yeah. like, huh. <laughs> we got a is German this, did shepherd. I shoot this? Who, who did this? <laughs> what? What is this? But that—that's like one of the cool things, though, is like, like that first time seeing it up close and and just seeing how small their bodies are and and how the antlers fit proportionally and everything like that. And it, it's a hundred percent. It was an old deer. Like Jermo thought it was six and a half to seven and a half. Like yeah. just in just an uh, old deer. And like when you go to the field, like. If you could take a six and a half or a seven and a half year old deer, I don't care what subspecies you're after. Like that is that is a trophy in itself. Like think about all the seasons that that deer has had to avoid predators and hunters and everything else. Yeah, I agree. That was it was crazy. It was cool to see, and you know we did all the production stuff and everything. And then, and then the out or the the guides and everything had to get the they weren't dra- they don't drag anything out here. They get no, the truck not. in the scrub. I mean they're cutting trees down. They are bushwhacking like. All of a sudden, you just hear, bah, bah, here comes the truck, just a rallying through. I'm like, holy crap. Which is, which is kind of funny because you're like, it's only 100 pounds, and there's literally, by the time you get the driver and everybody, there's seven of us standing by this thing that we could probably carry it pretty easy, 200 yeah. yards. But no, they, they, listen, they run over trees. They run over everything in that truck to get it there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. So was it when we were going back to camp, or did we... When we saw the big deer, it was going back to camp that day. So we had the rest of that day to hunt. We had the muzzleloader in back at the the house. So instead of having lunch in the field, the plan was okay. We got take took care of everything. Now we're gonna go back to the hacienda and have lunch there. Which again, it was another freezing cold morning. So it was like I get to feel my feet again for thirty minutes while we eat lunch, have a cup of coffee, and head back out get the muzzleloader. And it was driving in that time that we looked over past the airstrip and that hog of a buck was just standing there. Yeah. <laughs> big deer. So uh, big. Boy, we tried so hard to get Guillermo to let us get out. He he just wasn't 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 budging. He was not going back to his grandpa and saying after 60 years I I finally broke it and that let the guys shoot in the in the sanctuary. Yeah, that Justin was filming those deer and there was him and another buck and a doe, I think. Wasn't it another was it a doe? Yeah, it was. A, well, it was, a, it was another good buck, but compared to this one, it was like huh, not even close. Yeah, 
I don't know. I was I was kind of pushing hard. I probably shouldn't have done that, but I'm like, man, we could, uh, Guillermo, you could have the world record muzzleloader deer off your ranch here. I mean, just just give us the sign, buddy. Just call on yeah. the righty. <laughs> like, well, and he was the one that said, man, we've we've seen this deer over in the canyon that was a mile and a half away, which was out of the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, it was just one of those things. Like the rut's over. That deer's not chasing the does all over like he was three weeks ago. That deer doesn't live in the sanctuary. He just stays there the majority of the time. But during the rut, he's all over the place. Yeah. Like that. And that's the, like, and now hindsight, like you're there in the field and got the muzzleloader so close and you're like, man, you can make that work. But now that the trip's over and you're back here, you're like, man, what they're doing with the, the conservation and the habitat and on that ranch of actually keeping that sanctuary right in the middle because they're trying to keep all the deer there and they do heavy predator control in that area. You're like, man, what they're doing is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like you, you think about it now, like that, that's awesome what they're doing in that habitat. And you're like, that's why there's such great hunting. And they've got that sanctuary right around the houses. Cause obviously they don't want anybody hunting there, but it, what it does is it makes the hunting closer to where your the hacienda is so much better. Yep. Cause it's one thing when you're hunting and you leave the hacienda, you don't think about how big 34,000 acres are. Like you don't want to have to drive to the other side of the thirty-four thousand acres in in three and a half hours in that high rack to get to the other side where the good hunting is. Like you want it to be close so you can be hunting right away. Yeah, no, I agree. I, all kidding aside and joking around, like yeah, that w- we get why Guillermo's doing that and why his his grandfather started that. Like, it's a really good conservation move, management move. Like I totally get it. They don't want to overpressure and over over harvest their deer to be honest with you yep yep so i get it yep yeah well i mean that's kind of that's carmen the carmen hunt uh i mean these these animals are really cool like mark did you, we probably i don't remember if you ever taped him out or whatever i thought i thought he'd be like 110 inches probably is that where he probably yeah. was we we never ta- i never taped him out yeah never just to give everybody was- just kind of a visual through audio form that's what i was getting at there yep. so yeah now the visual through the audio form what you really got to go do is you got to hop on over to the uh the youtube page and watch the video yeah like that's 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 just what you got to do then you can see it with your own eyes yeah as, i mean as this pot you're listening to this podcast it is the video is live at mark v peterson youtube channel so go check that out and um you can see that whole hunt unfold it's pretty cool and kind of connect the dots and there's a lot more into the hunt that that you can see than we got into here like just good variations so yeah go check that out as well yeah so are we going to talk about the aftermath of this trip the after oh yeah <laughs> justin do you want to talk about the aftermath? justin i don't know how you i don't know how you we've kind of cut justin out on, uh, on talking a lot on this you one got the worst audio's. end of this stick justin is, his audio has been a little broken up, but but Justin's <laughs> got to dig in and, and give the old recap here. What what happened? Of uh, your whole how was the how was the Mexico trip for you, Justin? Let's talk about that. Uh, after after the whole North American waterfowl slam <clears throat> trip to Africa, Greenland, everything we went through, and all of twenty, which was in the middle of twenty, right when the Rona was fast and furious. Yep, I got I got through all the. The Fast and Furious part of the Rona, and uh, I without got it in getting Rona. Yeah, without getting it, yeah. I got it. I got it on that trip. Uh, at some point, I don't know where or when, but <clears throat> I came home and tested positive like three days later. I know and, where uh, you got it from. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. I do know where I got it from. <laughs> the COVID cowboy guys... that was driving us around. Yeah, yeah. The guy that I was with for the 
two or three days before you guys got there. He was so you, he was in his deathbed. He he was in his truck, uh, wearing like his puffy. He had a stone glacier puffy jacket and pants with his beanie on and everything in his truck, heat cranking. Slept for two days straight. And you were you were riding shoddy with him. <laughs> I was riding shoddy with him for a seven hour trip that I was told would only be three and a half. Listen, that's a that's a good one too. So, like on any trip south of the border, Asia, you know, a lot of places, a lot of trips I've been to where I've been told it's a two to three hour drive. Hop in the old truck. Twelve hours later, you're mm-hmm. pulling into camp, and you're like, "What just happened?" Yeah, yeah. I will say that from my perspective on this whole hunt, that was the biggest buzzkill for me. It's like, oh, it's only two uh, two and a half hour drive from the airport to get here. I don't think we arrived any minute less than six hours like that was <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> a full six what's you need that to go to peru next time yeah peru's a good time we're gonna we're gonna hunt some whitetails actually you know what justin we're gonna hunt some whitetails in peru they've got two different subspecies down there and aaron being mr fall podcast guy he's got to go for that <laughs> well yeah. only if it happens in the fall you know <laughs> uh, definitely i mean it definitely won't won't happen then but listen chasing whitetails at 14 15 000 feet it's gonna be a good time what what kind of whitetails are over there it's uh what is it? it's a mountain um mountain whitetail and they've got a coastal one i'm trying to remember the names off the top of my head but they've got two different subspecies in in peru they've got one along the coast that's in thick brush stuff and then they've got one in the mountains and actually right when we left peru um this year angela the outfitter we were with down there had a a whitetail hunter that he literally dropped us off at the hotel because we took a little bit longer than we were supposed to um dropped us off and then went and grabbed this whitetail hunter and it was the next morning they shot a toad of a whitetail really now don't get me don't get me wrong it normally doesn't happen like that it's normally like an eight to ten to twelve day grind out at fifteen thousand feet yep huh that's cool i didn't even know there was whitetails in peru yeah, I think he. Yeah, yep. again, small, small, small species. Is it like an Indian whitetail, just like the Indian goose or something? I don't, I don't remember what it was called specifically, but yeah. Well, that's yeah. neat. So Jovid got Jovid. It's the mount. It's the mountain whitetail and the coastal whitetail. Okay, in Peru. Yeah. You know. So to kind of and recap this, this here. Sorry, Mark. On this, real quick, Aaron, and you, you left something out. Like, so Justin had tested positive, and then I think during this trip. Um, I remember Aaron very distinctly saying that he was superhuman. Yes. Because uh, he pretty much can't get the virus. I couldn't get Justin, the virus. Justin, do you remember that? Oh, specifically, yeah. Specifically, yeah. I am superhuman. I have been around it, and I just cannot get it. So, and yeah, I I was exposed to it four times before leaving on this trip, and I had yet to get it. So I'm like, you know, I'm... I am invincible. Like I, I can't be touched right now. So yep. coming out of this trip, I mean, Justin, when you got home, you were like in bed for like two or three days, weren't you? Like yeah. you were, you were down and out. Yeah, I was out for a little while. And you know, Mark, I think you got to touch a little something. But uh, I was good. You know, I was, I was great. Um, I felt um, unbelievable. You know, I felt like I was, uh, uh, I could go run a forty yard dash at like 3.9 what kind of time what yeah i was gonna say what kind of time would you get in a realistic 40 yard dash oh man i'm like uh i'm like i'm a tom brady kind of speed kind of guy so (laughs) we're talking high fives probably 
<laughs> just a good breakaway, just looking yeah. like a knee may give out as you go. A hundred percent. I I am more yeah. of like a quick guy. My first three steps are quicker than crap, but I mean for the longevity, we're slowing down real quick. You know. Um, but no. Uh, and then when we, what was the trip we were supposed to go to? Was uh, was it Argentina? Argentina. Argentina. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I tested positive for COVID right before that trip. I thought I was invincible. So the day before. Yeah. I got my results the day before, and it's like, oh, you got the vid. Great. Awesome. Way to to ruin our plans, Aaron. Yeah. I was really looking forward to that trip. Don't worry. It wasn't a good one at all. We didn't eat way too much and chewed a lot and drink wine by the cases. So, Well, I mean, you know, after the Mexico trip, we got into the wine a little too much the night before, and the... You know, I think my exact words the morning at the morning, the first morning when we got up and got out, I was like, I can't ride in the back of that truck. I got to get in the high rack because <laughs> still spark knocking a little bit that first morning. Listen, by the time you mix wine with some cervezas and a little bit of hard liquor, some of the next mornings they get a little rough. Yeah, you know, that happens to the best of us. So, so you're saying it wasn't the elevation? No, no, no. There was no <laughs> elevation sickness there at all. That was uh, pure uh, uh, bottle-induced or wine-induced. Man, the wine was so good, though. And Mark kept so just good. just pouring glasses. And it's like, I can't let, you know, we can't let him drink alone. You know, Justin and I had to partake. So I, I just like to see, I like to see what everybody's tolerance is right off the bat in camp. Just... Because my, my, my tolerance is pretty high. I'm a seasoned pro, as yeah. I like to say. So I I just like to see where everybody else is going to be at and see some misery the next morning. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to get into it. Yeah, Mark can drink with the best of them. <laughs> Good stuff. It's a, it's, a, it's a hidden talent that I have. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what do you say we wrap this up? We're just about at an hour. Um, yep. This was awesome, though. And, and like Mark said earlier, go to the YouTube channel and watch because there's a few – of these uh, Deer Slam episodes that are hot right now. So if you haven't seen them, go look at them, go watch them, comment on them, subscribe to the channel as well. But also look at this Carmen hunt. It was a really cool hunt, good experience, and uh, a really awesome Carmen deer as well. Yep. Well, thanks for thanks for joining again, guys. Now we've got, see, we've only got 28 more to go. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, that's it. Just 28 more to go. Yeah, we're, we're here. <laughs> we'll get her done. Yep. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys, very much. And, uh, uh, don't forget also, you know, go to uh, Apple Podcasts and, and like and comment on this and, and make a five-star rating here so that always helps with everything. So thank you guys very much. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Thank you, everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.